Thanks so much. You'll get a chance to hear more after I'm done talking. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's so great to have Sons of Corey here with us. And what's so cool is how God aligned really this this Sunday to happen. Uh, we've you know, we're in this whole series of what's the point, and today was supposed to be all along, like as we were charting out months and months and months ago, what's the point of worship and prayer? And then as we were talking with them about uh, when they were going to be kind of coming through town, it was aligning with this topic. And I think that it's so great because of what they do and what we're going to be talking about, the way that Ecclesiastes is going to be talking about what's the point of worship, how we are supposed to approach the house of God, how we're supposed to um, approach God in prayer. All of this is this way that we are to prepare ourselves and with a certain level of, uh, you'll, you'll see the amount of words we're supposed to use as we talk through it. So if you would turn in your Bibles, if you have them, uh, to Ecclesiastes 5, if that's on your device or your Bible, or there's a Bible on the back of that seat there in front of you, I encourage you to look for Ecclesiastes. It's pretty close to the middle of your Bible. After the Psalms and Proverbs, you'll get to a shorter book of Ecclesiastes. And we're in Ecclesiastes 5. And uh, let's, let's go ahead and read it through here, 1 through 7. It says this, Guard your steps as you go to the house of God, and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven. And you are on the earth, therefore let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin. And do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. All right, so some kind of strong words from the Word of God about how we are to approach the house of God. I thought it could be helpful even with some of these as Ecclesiastes has got some, you know, some difficult language. And then we use here at Calvary Church, we use the New American Standard Bible, which I love and I think it's great for us. The, uh, even to understand with the New American Standard Bible, it's a translation of, in, in here, a translation of the Hebrew that is more literal word-for-word translation in the way it's done. It's not always just exactly word for word, because um, it can't be, but it's a more literal word for word uh, translation. There's some others like NIV or NLT that are what we would call a dynamic equivalent or a more thought for thought translation. And sometimes uh, it doesn't mean one is better than the other. Sometimes a thought for thought is actually a better way of translating something than a literal word for word, because if you have an idiom or an expression, a word for word wouldn't make sense. And so you need to be able to translate it thought for thought. So that's just a little aside, but I thought it could be helpful for us just to look at the first few verses here in the NLT. It kind of it hits it. So it says, as you enter the house of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. <laughs> I like that directness. It's evil to make mindless offerings to God. 
Don't make rash promises. Don't be hasty in bringing matters before God. After all, God's in heaven and you are here on earth. So let your words be few. Too much activity gives you restless dreams. Too many words makes you a fool. All right, so these first few verses getting direct. And, and even to see uh, this whole thing of uh, something that's important to see in Ecclesiastes that we've talked about uh, here and there within this is it talks about how everything's meaningless, right? Everything's vanity. It says under the sun. Under the sun, everything's vanity. Now, this, this, this short, like, seven verses that we're looking at today doesn't have anything in it uh, that says under the sun. But what under the sun means when you're, when you're looking at this whole book is under the sun is in, like, a world and what you're doing in the world without God. So under the sun, and then there's, like, God over that. So sort of this world where you have not... Uh, brought God into it, you're not seeking God's advice, you're not trying to go after God's ways in that, that's the world where things are meaningless. So it's important as you're reading through that. Here, we don't have under the sun, but you have this like, God is in heaven and you are here on earth. Recognize God's holiness, here we are. We can be inviting and, and seeking God's holiness and to be living our lives like under that, or we can be rejecting him and pushing him away and seeking to live our life without him. That's the life that will be meaningless. So as we dig into this, the first point I want to make for us is out of that first verse is to prepare your heart before you approach God. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God. It's kind of like what this guy had to do in this moment here. It was heavy. There's nothing to fear here. That's what scares me. So guard your steps before you approach the house of God, all right? And you got to see, guard your steps, like thinking thoughtfully about it. You see, on the way in, he was thinking about it. 
on the way out, he wasn't. The fiery darts of the enemy were coming when he wasn't thinking about it. So just even that as an illustration for you when you're thinking about this. All right, guard my steps, just like Indy, okay? Just like Indiana Jones, guard your steps as you approach the house of God, to be thoughtful about how you enter. Now, this, what you see here, is a picture of uh, the ruins of a synagogue in Chorazin. Chorazin's a little town on the north end of the Sea of Galilee in Israel. And this, uh, this synagogue, this part of it, we've shown this even before because I think this is really helpful. What you see here are the steps that you would approach the synagogue in Chorazin. Now, I'll also show you some steps of the very temple in Jerusalem. But what uh, is unique about them, it's very much on purpose, is that the height and the depth of each step is different on purpose. Some are higher, some are lower, some are deeper, some are, are shallower, okay? Because what they don't want you to do is to walk into the synagogue or to walk into the temple without thinking. You're just walking along at a certain pace, talking to your friend, whatever, and then you recognize, whoa, okay, I'm going somewhere special. I'm going somewhere unique. I can't go in mindlessly. We can't just be walking, staring at our phones. And, you know, thinking as we come in to the house of God, here's a picture of the southern steps of the temple in Jerusalem. And some of these lower, these ones that are perfect are more modern. But these are actually the same steps that Jesus would have walked on as he was walking into the temple in that first century in Jerusalem. So this is the way to enter into the temple. And there are different heights and depths so that you're considering what you're doing before you walk into the house of God. And so for us, OSHA laws kind of prevent us from being able to make those stairs be different heights and depths and all of that. But uh, I wish we could. But for you, we, we need to make sure that we're mindful to be considering, to be thinking about what we are doing when we approach God. And not just here at church, uh, you know, whether that's any time where you're going to be in prayer, any time that you're uh, just connecting with the Lord and approaching Him to be mindful, to prepare your heart. Uh, like uh, Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So it says, guard your steps as you approach Him. Guard your heart because everything you do, all your life, all your life's actions are your worship. In that Romans 12, 1 and 2 kind of sense that your life is your spiritual act of worship. So guard your heart because everything that you do, you're singing, you're giving, you're praying, all of that comes out of your heart. So guard that. And then Hebrews 10, 22 says we are to draw near. Let us draw near to God. And it's actually even before that, I, I would encourage you to read Hebrews 10 in its entirety. But it's saying that because of the work of Jesus Christ, we can approach God with confidence. But we should still draw near to him with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. So we don't come to him thoughtlessly. We don't come to him mindlessly. We come to him with sincerity. We want to approach God in that kind of way. It doesn't mean perfectly. It doesn't mean that we have to get all of our life together. But we're thoughtful about how we approach him. We come to him with a sincere heart. So that's that first thing. Let's prepare our hearts before we approach God as we consider worship and prayer. The next thing that we learn from this text is to draw near to listen, not only to speak. In the second half of verse 1 even, it says, draw near 
to listen rather than offer the sacrifice of fools, which is a great little turn of phrase, and it's pretty hard-hitting turn of phrase as well. We don't want to be people that would be considered fools or to have our sacrifice or what we bring to God be considered the sacrifice of fools. We don't want that. What is this sacrifice of fools? Some of that is basically to keep on talking and have what you do for God be in form and ritual only with no sincerity of heart. There's a place for ritual. There's a place for duty. There's a place for form and structure. However, if that is all that there is, and there's not this sincerity of heart, then we are approaching God as a sacrifice of fools. And so we, again, we don't want that to be what is spoken of us or for us to be considering. Like, if you just consider, if, if everything you do was with no heart and no, um, you know, and no meaning or sincerity, all these things that we do in our life for God as we serve him, if it's just out of duty and we don't care about it, it's meaningless. If we give to him, if we don't do it, he says, have a cheerful heart, be a joyful giver. Like that's the kind of thing we want to have sincerity of worship in that or else it's vanity, it's meaningless. As we, as we pray and as we sing to him, all of, this, all of this that would encompass our life as we just live our life for him in obedience, it must come from that sincerity of hearts. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I have, where you talk to some people in your life where as you engage with someone, you know even, probably at some point you know before you even walk up to them, that you aren't going to say anything, but they're going to talk, and they're going to keep talking, and they won't stop talking, and then they'll stop talking, and they'll be done, and then they'll just kind of move on, you know? And you're like, wow, that was an interesting interaction. I didn't say any words. And <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had interactions like that, or you know just at certain people that you talk to, they are going to keep talking without breathing, and you can't even like have a breath break to kind of just get in and say something. I don't know if you've experienced that or had friends like that, but that's not the way that relationships are supposed to work, okay? Just FYI. If you think you might, that might be you. If you have something ringing in your head, think about this, okay? Because this is important that we don't want to just keep on speaking. Even in our relationship with God, we want to be people who draw near to listen, he says. Draw near to listen. If we continue to only speak, maybe it's a sacrifice of fools, I like this quote from a Puritan, John Owen, back in 1674. This is an old, old one when they were probably still only singing psalms, just like Sons of Korah would rather have us do. No, <laughs> uh, you know, before the great, uh, the great uh, scandalous hymns came onto the scene. And so you've got here with, uh, John Owen says this, Friendship is most maintained and kept up by visits. Okay, simple, right? We, if we have a friend, we want to visit them. And then I like it, he says, and these, the more free and less occasioned by urgent business. So a friendship is a, a lot of visits that don't have to always be about urgent business. We're not always having to get down to the businessy stuff, right? That's friendship. There's a difference between a, a business relationship and a friendship. In a business relationship, yeah, you want to chat, but you want to get down to business. And, but like what John Owens is saying, I think what God's saying to us here with draw near to listen and is, hey, do you ever come to God without an agenda? 
Do you pray without a list of things that you're trying to ask God for, but you're saying, God, I want to draw near to you to listen to what you would have to say to me. And we want that to be from the word of God, but we also want that to be from just listening to what he would have to say to us. That we need to do that. I, I bet for a lot of us that that's hard. I bet for a lot of us that's not something we're incorporating into our regular practice. And so I'd encourage you to even do something like when, when we think about this, to incorporate both an intimacy and a reverence for God. That like we want to be close to Him. It's this closeness, but with a healthy fear. That we, we know that God wants us to be intimate and, and close to Him, but also there's this great reverence for a holy God who's the creator of the universe. And so maybe it's something that you could incorporate into your life if, if, this is, maybe a, if this is a struggle for you. If you tend to be the one with God that you're talking all the time, maybe if you tend to be the one at a Bible study that you're talking all the time, maybe if you're the one in, in your small group that you're talking all the time or with friends that you're talking all the time, uh, maybe for you a discipline of silence could be a good practice. All right? A discipline of silence where you're to say, okay, Lord, and I— guilty as charged, okay, right up here. Like, I was the nerd kid that just, like, in my, like, junior high, even in high school, small groups, like, oh, 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 you know, like, wanting to share all the time. And that was my role. <laughs> and, like, I had to be able to, like, chill myself out to be able to listen and take in the wisdom from others. And so maybe for you, it's some of that, you know, that kind of a thing where you're saying, okay, Lord, like, I want to be able to hear from others I want to hear from you. I want to say when I pray this week, Lord, I want to um, engage with you, and then I'm going to sit in silence for a while, Lord. And I believe that you will speak to me. And so I encourage you with that. Now, just even a few verses that can help us with that. From Ecclesiastes here, from the, the second verse, that whole thing. For God is in heaven, and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. That's that reverence for God, that awe of his holiness, but also that sense of knowing that we want to be intimate with him. So let your words be few. As well as James 1.9. But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So maybe even drawing near to listen is drawing near to listen to people in your life. Maybe even people that are different than you and have different opinions. Maybe especially people that have different opinions than you. And don't be so quick to be like, I'm so mad about that. Whatever that person said, and I'm mad. I have to engage them and I have to argue with them. But be quick to listen and to hear what they have to say and how maybe that person who is an image bearer of God himself has some wisdom that you might not have yet. Draw near to listen. Another, uh, Matthew 6, 7. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. I think the NIV says, don't keep babbling like the pagans. Okay, don't keep on babbling. Uh, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. And you've got even this, the Pharisees of making these long, important sounding prayers out loud for everyone else to hear. And I think the reason I even highlighted this part of meaningless repetition, I think it's more even about the meaningless 
than it is about the repetition. We see in the scriptures that repetition as a place, like even Revelation 4.8 says that you're going to be singing day after day, night after night. They kept on saying, and it's a short 20-word little song that they keep on going with, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that short 20 words is repeated over and over and over at the throne of God forever. <laughs> okay, so repetition is biblical, but meaningless Babbling kind of repetition is not. So it's more about the meaningless. It's more about that, and that, which is so interesting with Ecclesiastes, the meaninglessness, the vanity, that we want to be repeating words that have depth and richness that are helping us to be able to engage with God. So these things. All right, so we've got prepare your hearts and draw near to listen. And then in the last few verses of this text that we're looking at, we start to get into this whole thing that worship is really about our actions. Worship is about what we do, not our promises, not our vows. That this whole bit on vows, Ecclesiastes 5.5, it's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Now, I don't know how many of you, when you've been on an airplane... And the turbulence, like, kicks in real strong. Okay, have you had, like, any of those big... I've had a couple flights where you just have a big dropout. And you're, like, freaking out. You know, if you see the flight attendants start being scared, then you know, like, you should really be scared. And these moments, and then in the midst of that moment, you're like, Lord, if you just let us land safely, I will then do whatever. Like, you know, I will serve you the rest of my life. I'll, you know, I'll quit smoking or I'll, you know, whatever. I'll quit all of these things. I will serve. I promise I will volunteer in this ministry forever. I'll do whatever. Like, just let us land the plane. I've been, I, I, I enjoy surfing and I've been held down under a wave and it's a big day and you're trying to paddle out and you just get slammed by a wave and you're under and then you finally come up and then when you come up, you just see another wave about to land on your head and it's in that moment where you're just getting tired. Like, God, God, if you'll just let me make it in, I promise I will, you know, I will use my surfing to only evangelize to people and I'll never just surf for myself. You know, I, that kind of vow, stop it, okay? Stop it. <laughs> stop these kinds of vows. If you, you know, all, all those things are so easy and cheap. Those are cheap vows that we can make. And so God doesn't need that. God doesn't want that. God doesn't need your cheap vow. But if you make it, you better keep it. All right? That's what it's saying. If you make the vow, keep the vow. There's a guy, Louis Zamperini. I don't know if you know his story, if you've seen the movie or read the book Unbroken. Uh, it was huge for a while, just a few years back. It was an amazing book and movie. I loved them both. And local SoCal person up in Torrance area, and he became an Olympic runner, and then was in World War II, and was flying over the Pacific, and his plane crashed on the water, and he was in a life raft like this for so long, and I mean, he was like catching seagulls and just eating them, and it was kind of gnarly, like it was just an intense thing of trying to survive, and he said these words in that life raft, God, if I survive this ordeal, and get back to America alive, I will seek you and serve you. Wasn't a believer. He does then end up getting picked up by, um, by Japanese troops on one of their ships and then taken to a prisoner of war camp in Japan and just went through a horrific abuse and horrific ordeal, especially through this one main person that was awful, awful, awful to him. I mean, as, as awful as it can get and just being tortured and, and abused. And But then... 
we win the war, right? And so then, you know, he is freed and he goes back to America. And so God has now brought him back to America. He went to a Billy Graham crusade and then went forward and received Christ. And then he began to go even back to Japan and to minister to people who then they were imprisoned for being war criminals and went and shared the gospel with them and, and to see many of them receive Christ and then spoke to hundreds of thousands of people. So he made the vow, but he kept it. All right? So if you make the vow, keep the vow. Now, so when should you make these sorts of vows? Not very often. All right? That's the thing. Don't make <laughs> cheap vows. I feel like I've really made two primary vows in my life. One, the first one I made was to a life of ministry when I was ordained uh, for ministry. And I've kept that vow for about, so far, about 24 years. And then uh, about a year later, I made a vow before God to my wife, B, And we've been keeping that vow for close to 23 years now. Those are those vows that I've made in my life that are those meaningful vows to me. But we see, you know, in our culture, such a cheapening of even those vows, that we don't want to cheapen the vows that we make before God. If you make a vow to keep a vow. I love James 5.12 says, but of all my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. That we would be people just of our word. That what we say, we don't need to make a promise. We don't need to make a vow. We just what we do, what we say, we will do. Our yes is yes, and our no is no. And so I encourage you to keep obedience and reverence for God above your words and your vows. It's, it, what matters is what you do, how we live. That's what our, that spiritual act of worship, of living our everyday lives for God, that is how we live a life of worship. And that is just even our life is our yes you know, that our life is our yes in what we do each day. I like Ecclesiastes 5.7 in the NLT says, Talk is cheap, like daydreams and other useless activities. Fear God instead. All right? That's that fear God is that reverence and awe and a healthy fear of God. And it's how the whole book of Ecclesiastes ends. Spoiler alert, Ecclesiastes 12.13. The conclusion... When all has been heard is fear God. There you see it again there. Fear God. Have that healthy awe and reverence for him and keep his commandments. So reverence and obedience. That's what it all boils down to because this applies to every person. So for all of us, that is how we are to live this out. That we would not be people that just sort of have these cheap vows that we make. So how can we really mean it? I think part of how we can mean it is to have a, a proper understanding of the gospel. A proper understanding of what Jesus came to do and what he accomplished. That when Jesus came as God in the flesh to live a, this perfect life on this earth and he went upon the cross. And upon that cross, he took upon himself the penalty and the consequence that we all deserved. And he paid that price. He rose again on the third day in power over sin, over death. And then he offers that eternal life to us as a free gift. And he says, I give this to you. It's about what I've done, not what, about what you can do. When we have an understanding of that, we don't need to make vows. 
We don't need to because God has done that work for us. Maybe if we keep making these vows and promises to God, we actually don't have an understanding of the gospel of what Jesus has done for us. So let that encourage you that Jesus has done the hard work. Jesus has done that, but he has also created you to do good works for him, that we obey him out of our love and reverence and awe for him. So we prepare our hearts before we approach the throne of God. Think about how you can do that, how you can prepare your hearts even now, how you can prepare your heart before you would show up here next Sunday, how you could prepare your heart tomorrow morning before you would pray or read the scriptures. Just prepare your hearts and ask, ask God, like, Lord, ask him to do it. Say, God, prepare my heart to approach you. And then we draw near to him in silence, to incorporate silence into your practice, both here and, and everyday life. And then to, it's not about the promises you make. It's about our actions and our life of reverence and obedience to God. And so what I love is how today, as we respond, that we have Sons of Korah with us, because what we can do now, we're going to head into a time of a little more extended worship, where as they come up, we will be able to, to have these songs of the actual words of the psalms from the Bible to be sung over us. And I want you to, to sit and to listen and allow the word of God to wash over you. To kind of relax. Maybe you need to put your stuff down. Maybe you need to sort of lean back a little bit. Maybe you want to be on your knees. I don't know. Whatever that is for you. Maybe you want to just close your eyes and listen to these words. Maybe you want to open your Bible and read along. I, it's, feel some freedom in that, okay? But, but draw near to listen. Draw near to listen as these beautiful words are sung over you. And then as we'll continue to do this for a while, and then we'll close with one last corporately sung song together, okay? Let me pray for us and Take a breath, and as I pray, prepare your hearts. I'm going to allow it to be silent for just a moment before I pray. Let's pray together. Lord God, please prepare our hearts to worship you. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to us today through your word. God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. That you would prepare us to hear your voice. I pray, Lord Jesus, that today something could move in us that hasn't moved before, God. May we hear from you in a new and fresh way today. Speak to us, Lord, please. In Jesus' name, amen.